Welcome to Real Crime NYC, where you'll hear real crime stories told by real New York City cops. Join Chris, Bill, and I for this hot topic where we're going to discuss, in a quick general sense, the Murdoch murders that were in the news recently. It's been ubiquitous. It's been reported everywhere. They followed the trial. And it's the story of an attorney from South Carolina, what they call the low country of South Carolina, that was just convicted on March 3rd of murdering his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. But there's so much more to this story and the family that we figured we'd jump on and add our two cents to it. Coming from the background we come from, we could add a lot of insight to what may or may not have gone on here. What do you got, guys? Yeah, Pat. So in June of 2021, Alec Murdoch murdered his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. He was recently convicted, and he was actually sentenced the very next day, which I find odd. took that quick to sentence him. It's just a fascinating story. It's a story of power, arrogance, ego, and money. It looks like Alex and Maggie's marriage was going bad. She had visited a divorce lawyer. They had found drugs in the house, and uh, things weren't going good for Alex. He got fired from his law firm. He was Drug uh, issues. Drug issues. He was found stealing money from clients. He had 99 financial crimes cases against him. It was, uh, his life was in a spiraling downhill and he was panicking to try to try to fix it. It's believed that he kills his wife and child to either buy time or cover everything else up that's going on in his life. But on the night of June 7, 2021, Alec invites his wife, Maggie, to come to their second home. Uh, which is called Mozella State, and have dinner with him. Paul and Maggie meet him. They have dinner. And sometime after dinner, Alex says he goes to his mother's house. When he returns home, he finds Maggie and Paul dead, shot multiple times each. His, his mother, who has dementia and therefore couldn't be a witness to say whether he was or was not there. Correct. Side note is his father was also dying and actually dies that weekend. But what Alex doesn't realize is it's a caretaker for the mother who's there. And she comes into play later on. So police suspect that Alec, after dinner, shoots his wife Maggie, shoots son Paul multiple times, covers up the crime scene, changes his clothes, washes himself off, gets in the car, drives to his mother, comes back, and reports the double murder. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was reading about this case, 7 p.m., they have Alex as taking a nap, and then 7.30 they show him as waking up. These are going by, I guess, his initial statements. He says, I woke up at uh, 7.30. I don't see Maggie and Paul. So I text them that I'm going to check on my mom and dad. So that's interesting because normally he wouldn't, hey, I'm going to check on my mom and dad. Let me go text my son. So it's almost like he's doing a record on the phone, a text message record. So now I have an alibi. People will know where I am. And then at 8.05, that's when he does the text, I'm going to check on my mom and dad. And then at nine o'clock later on, the coroner places the time of deaths. So that's going to be interesting. And I'm going to tell you why. 9.15, Alex says he was visiting with his mom and dad. And then 10.20, he comes back home and he discovers the bodies. And the reason why I feel like that nine o'clock, the coroner places the time of deaths is out of all this time, Alex was very specific on coming up with an alibi. Very specific, the exact almost minutes of those time of deaths of saying, hey, I wasn't at that location at that time. I was here. I was at my mom and dad's house. Only the killer 
would know the exact time of death. That's why that's very significant to this case. But what he also didn't know, which investigators did a phenomenal job of finding on Paul's phone, Alex says he never went to where they were murdered until 1020 when he discovered their bodies. He said he was never there. He took the nap, he woke up, and he goes to his mom and dad's house. But investigators did a very thorough job. They did an excellent job in finding on Paul's phone that at 844, he does a video. And on that video, you see the dog, and then you could hear Maggie's voice and Alex's voice. So at the trial, he had to actually come out and say, hey, I lied to police. I was actually there prior to the murders. So it kind of screwed up the whole case. You realized right there, in my opinion, he planned it out, but he didn't realize that that one recording on Paul's phone actually got him. And the jurors even said that that video with his voice on it, how do you deny that? So he got up there, he testified and he said, yeah, that was my voice. I lied to police. You know, I think the jurors saw right through his lies. So if you think about it, the Murdoch family was a dynasty in the low country of South Carolina for almost 100 years. They were one of the most powerful or the most powerful privileged family in that section of South Carolina. And they had a lot of political influence. And then you get to Alex, who's accused of these murders. And instead of presiding over the continuance of this dynasty, He's basically presiding over the destruction and downfall of a family dynasty that's lasted three, four generations in that section of South Carolina. And there's drug use there. There's financial crimes. It's just a a downward spiral where he's presiding over the, the downfall of that Murdoch dynasty in South Carolina, which a lot of people are probably happy about. Yeah, his lies and... The stealing was all catching up with him. And I think he felt it. I mean, to kill your wife and to kill your son, I mean, that takes a lot. And when you first hear about the case, you say to yourself, who would do that? What father would do that? What husband would do that? And you see your son and your wife. But after you kind of delve through everything and you see the history of this family and you see the history of Alex, the stealing, the misappropriation of funds from insurance, from companies, from people, from insurance uh, payouts. I mean, you look at all the things that he's done coupled with the drug use and you say, yeah, he did it. And he's a compulsive liar. He misled people over years. He lied to people. The jury, I got to give them credit. They came back within what, two hours, three hours with a verdict and they found him guilty. I mean, they saw right through his lies. I mean, I think everybody did. I I don't know if anybody could actually say to themselves, yeah, I believe him. He lied multiple times, and he's on record saying he lied multiple times to many people. He got caught up. But I will say this. Paul killed a woman, a young girl, on that boating accident. And if the legal system, if the family didn't come into play and the legal system would have done what they should have done on any incident where there was a boating accident or a car accident, he would have been arrested he'd be in jail, and Paul would still be alive today. He was indicted for the boating incident. He's still awaiting trial. Well, that's the point. The boating incident happens February 24th, 2019. He gets indicted on April 18th, 2019. And this double murder happens June 7th, 2021. That's over two years. I mean, if it would have been handled the way that incidents like this are normally treated, he would have been indicted. He would have, first of all, he would have been arrested the night of the boating incident for driving the boat while intoxicated. You have a certain amount of days you have to present it to a grand jury. And then from there, 
the trial would happen. But this is two years later, and there's still not a trial. If there was a trial that happened, I would think he would be found guilty because he was clearly drunk, clearly reckless. And you have everyone on there saying that he was driving that boat. You know, if it probably started sooner, you're right. Maybe it would not have happened. But this is savagery at the best. I mean, this guy totally fucked his life up. Drugs, murder. Guy has a great education, a prominent family, great business. And he totally destroyed his life. And what was the the common denominator? Is drugs. Drugs screwed this guy's life up. If you listen to some of the, uh, some of the interviews as the weeks went on, people not involved with the case, just uh, people getting interviewed. Uh, some of them say, hey, you know, I, 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 could, I could see killing your wife, but, but your son? I mean, how could you do that? Especially he's, he's like an identical duplicate of him. The red hair, the look, it, it's your son. And to get to that position to kill your son, you're desperate. Maybe yeah, it, really maybe, maybe that was part of his motivation. Maybe it's because he was his duplicate. Somehow in his psyche, he was killing himself by killing the son. I mean, I think everybody wants to crawl into this guy's mind to see what he was thinking, because this is just such a rare situation. It's uh, this doesn't happen, you know, in, in decades. This is this is just a crazy story. Or the significance of killing his son is when police first arrive there, right away he's saying it's retaliation. For the boating incident, Paul was driving the boat that he tried to accuse Connor of driving. It's retaliation. He was getting, Paul was getting threats. The family was getting threats. This is what he's telling law enforcement, I guess, the night of the double murders. And maybe he's using that if Paul is dead, these people came in there and killed his wife and Paul as retaliation for the uh, the boating incident where uh, Mallory died. Alex was under investigation for so many other things. I mean, he had so many other pending investigations and indictments. It might have actually been that either through his paranoia from the drug use or through legitimate concern, he might have assumed or actually known that Maggie and Paul, the mother and the son, were actually going to provide evidence against him, you know, to somehow save themselves, to save Paul from maybe a sentence related to the boating accident. They might have decided that they were just going to give it all up to authorities and he decided he was going to take them out. I think it's clear that he wanted to take his wife out. Why you do the son is always going to be questionable. He invites her down there. She's seeking divorce. They're apparently fighting. There's fighting going on in the household. So the marriage is going real bad. He's looking to take Maggie out. Why you do the son is, is really to be quite. Maybe he sees it and he didn't expect him to be there. You know, anything's possible at this point. They really haven't answered a lot of the questions, but, you know, they were successful in building a, a case to prosecute him and, and convict him. So hats I, off I, to the prosecution. If you look at the son's death, I mean, he used a shotgun, close range, pretty much blew his head off. You're doing that to your son, close range. I mean, you know. Well, that's was, another question. Why but, use two different guns? Why use a shotgun separately? It's all conjecture, too, and he's an attorney, so maybe he thought if he used two different guns, it would leave authorities to believe that they were two assailants. However, I mean, it could be something as simple as Paul was trying to intercede and protect his mother. He ends up shooting the son because he's coming at him, trying to keep him from killing the mother. I mean, it's all conjecture here. We're just spitballing it, but it could be any of these things. This family and the circumstances surrounding them are so bizarre, it makes me wonder— has the Murdoch family been this screwed up since the get-go, like for the last hundred years, and it's just spiraling into chaos now? Or has it been legit and Alex, as the heir to this dynasty, just flushed the whole thing down? Well, the fact that one grandfather and the great-grandfather maintained the same position in that county over a hundred years, that, that's almost like corruption itself. 
happens over years. Like I said, the arrogance, it just, it builds up and it builds up. It's almost like a family trait here. But this is a small county in South Carolina. That family has controlled both sides of the legal system, the DA side, the prosecution side, and also the civil litigation side. And yeah, I would they say- They cornered the market. They cornered the market down there. It's amazing. The whole yeah, legal system. They did. I, they had the legislation changed in their state to allow- civil torts to be shopped around to whatever county was beneficial, which turned out to be the county that the five counties they were operating in. And that was overturned some years ago. But for a long time, they literally did corner the market on yeah, these the, civil cases. The entire law enforcement and prosecution community down there had to recuse himself from this case. The father, Randolph, and his father and his father, I mean, they've been involved with this legal system down there for so long. I think the family, you know, Alex and his kids were just accustomed to, hey, call grandpa and grandpa will get me out of this. I mean, you could see with the boating incident, his first priority was call grandpa. And he did that and you could see the access they had to the scene and to the families. At these different incidents, these bizarre incidents, the Murdoch family has access to things that the ordinary person doesn't have access to, that victims' families don't have access to. And that's just embedded. It caught up with him. This case, it took, what, three months for them to uh, arrest him, right? I think it was October where they arrested him for misappropriation of funds for, you know, when the housekeeper died, it was the $4.3 million insurance policy, and he stole that from the two boys. It took until October for them to kind of reopen that and say, hey, where is this money? And then it took over a year for them to arrest him for this double murder. Yeah, getting back to you saying, call grandpa, you know, I think that's learned behavior. The kids learn that from daddy. You know, we, we can make things go away. I think that's learned behavior. And it goes into what you're saying. It's It didn't happen overnight. It's generational. And uh, we're above the law. We're above everybody else. And we can make things go away. And that was the problem here for the past seven years. One thing went away after another. And it was just getting much worse. I'll add another suspicious death into the mix here with the Murdoch family. One of the Randolphs, I think it was the great-grandfather, dies when his car is struck by a CSX train on the railroad tracks. And as the story goes, it's alleged, we don't know if this is true or not, number one, he was intoxicated, or number two, he was some, somehow suicidal. But that's where a large part of the family's fortune came from. It was in suing CSX Railroad for that death. So I think I might have answered my own question here. Going back in time, way back, there were some, you know, suspicious debts that were, were never resolved 100%, even way back then. Maybe that's why three months after the double murders, Alex hires his cousin to shoot him in the head. But the interesting thing about that is Alex says he did it for this $10 million insurance policy to give to Busta. But when you speak to the cousin and the cousin's on record saying, I didn't shoot him. You know, he wanted me to shoot him, but I didn't shoot him. So then who shot Alex in the head? Did he shoot himself in the head for the insurance policy? I mean, just bizarre events. I mean, it's just, you can't believe some of the things in here that, you know, through the years that this family's been getting away with, you know, are they criminal? Are they reckless? Are they both? Are they accidents? I mean, it's hard to believe some of these are accidents. How, how could so many accidents happen to one family? There's certainly a family that would know how to take advantage of an accident, though, if it did happen. Oh, they know the system in and out that they definitely have taken advantage of accidents. I mean, they've stole money. Well, the father, Alex, is, is also accused of 
stealing money from his own law firm, you know, not just from the clients, but from the actual law firm itself. Yeah. And that's crazy in itself. You know, there's a paper trail, you know, everything's documented. Somebody's going to ask questions. Where's the money? It's a pyramid scheme. You keep stealing. Sooner or later, it catches up. There were large numbers. You know, one lawyer wrote them a check for $700,000 that they had to give back. And he only gave back $600,000 worth. Someone's going to notice $100,000 missing. But they didn't until all of these incidents started to mount up. Until there, was the, small, there were small amounts too. I mean, he, was, he got a $180,000 judgment for one client. And he goes back to the client's family and he tells them they got awarded 30000 and he gives them the thirty thousand, and they're grateful to him for getting them the thirty thousand. Meanwhile, he pocketed one hundred fifty thousand dollars of their money. Now, when so did all it was great and small his theft? And when did all of this come out? Only after the double murders. Think about the boating accident, the housekeeper, that young boy way back when from high school that's found in the middle of the road. None of this comes out. I tell you one thing I find crazy: he takes the blue raincoat that he's wearing the night of the shooting of the double homicide. And he brings it to the mother's house and he hides it in the mother's house. Yeah, because no one will ever look there. The craziness and the boldness, the arrogance of the actions that have taken place is just, it's just bizarre. A reporter sets up outside of the property and he puts a drone up in the air. Law enforcement's finally going to do a search warrant on the location where the double murders happened. He thinks he gets there after the search warrant has been conducted. But what he doesn't know until later on is he actually gets there before the search warrant was conducted. He puts the drone up and it circles and he sees vehicles. He sees people moving. I guess he goes back and he starts to look at the footage thinking, I missed the search warrant. And instead, what he finds is family members, Murdoch family members, taking out rifles and shotguns out of the home prior to the search warrant. Wait, hold on. There's supposed to be a search warrant conducted. The family's removing shotguns and rifles from the house prior to the search warrant. Were they tipped off? I mean, you think about the amount of evidence they had to convict them of the double murders. And they still were able to remove evidence from the house. They still never located the shotgun or the rifle that caused the murder of Maggie and Paul. After they take those rifles and shotguns out, they drive down to the dog kennel and they place a dog in the back of the pickup. So it is believed they actually went hunting that time with those guns. Hunting with eight guns taken on a day of a search warrant? Now, you know, listen, there's so many things surrounding this that's odd. You know, that in itself is odd. What, you have a double murder and you're going hunting, the preservation of the crime scene. You have the investigators hanging out at the area, hanging out on the stoop. They're not secure on the crime scene. You got family inside uh, the residence. Again, this crime scene's not secured. Uh, they didn't take one fingerprint from the location. There's just such a, a lack of police work surrounding this whole incident. You clearly have a murder, a double murder. It's not like it's the boat incident. It's not like it's uh, you know a vehicle incident. You have a double murder here. You know the the state should have. I believe the state was investigating it at this point. They should have made this more of a priority. They trampled all over that crime scene. And just the proper police work wasn't done. And whether they're in bed with the, with the law enforcement and the prosecutors in the community, the state still should have done their job better. And I expect, or I suspect, once this is done in the next year or two, that you're going to see some form of corruption come out of it with the local authorities. I mean, it just reeks of it. It reeks of it. And... Um, 
hopefully the truth comes out because there's a lot of people who really want to know what happened. And that's that. Thank you for joining us for this hot topic on Real Crime NYC. And join us for our next episode where we put a new twist on this Murdoch story. Hit subscribe and follow us for free access to our most up-to-date episodes. You can find Real Crime NYC on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Pat. I'm Chris. And I'm Bill. We'll see you when we see you.